So I was praying about where to go next with the Sunday message series, and I, I heard this word stirring inside of me. You know how that happens? How many of you get that? It's like, who is that talking in there? And the word that I got stirring inside me was this. It was, I want you to visit the mountaintops. I didn't know what it meant, but <laughs> it was pretty clear what was being said. I want you to visit the mountaintops. So I did what any, any good evangelical Christian would do. I went to my Bible to try to figure out what it meant. When I recognized that there are 32 different mountains referred to in the Bible, I thought, well, this could take a while. I was relieved to uh, see that, in many cases, one mountain had more than one name, so that narrowed it down. What I did was I then just prepared a gasp. I prayed. I know. And, um, And I felt like I narrowed it down to eight specific mountains, five in the Old Testament, three in the New Testament, that the Lord would like to meet us on in the Messages. What has me really excited about this mountain series is that I discovered that there are actually treasures for us on the top of each one of these mountains. There's a treasure waiting for us. It's been there all along. (laughs) But it's waiting for us that the Holy Spirit will bring it to our understanding in a way that will bless our lives, that that will give us more of what we need to walk out in power, in kingdom authority, in faith. In the move of the Holy Spirit, in the kingdom of God. And uh, I, I think these are mountains that we're going to enjoy being, seeing the tops of. So does anybody want to do some mountain climbing? Yep. Okay, off, off we go then. Well, we're going to start our eight mountain tour today with Mount Moriah. It was on a mountain in the region of Moriah, known as Moriah actually, that an epic test of obedience took place. If you want to look at it, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. And in Genesis chapter 22, there's an incredible story that unfolds about one of the main characters of the early part of the Bible named Abraham. And by this time, he and his wife had a a son named Isaac. And it was a long struggle to get there. And so they're very old in their age, and they have uh, this son Isaac, who was the fulfillment of God's promise to them. And then on the day of God's choosing Uh, Genesis 22 says that God called to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said, I want you to take your son, and he specified your only son because there had been another little deal going on, Uh, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him. There is a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Does anybody just want to go, what? I mean, does that not just uh, offend the most basic sense of human ethics? I know. I guess that's why he gets to be God. But that's what he said. And the Bible says the next day Abraham got up and he got his son and he loaded up the donkey with some wood for the sacrifice and they traveled three days. It says to this place, it saw this, this region of Moriah, this mountain, says that he, that he went up there and he told the servants that he brought along to help out, you guys stay right here. I'm going to take the wood and my son. We're going to go over there and we're going to make this sacrifice. Well, on the way over, a question occurred to Isaac. And he said, Father, and he said, yes, son. And he said, you know, I see, the, I see the wood for the offering, but I don't see the sacrifice. I don't see the lamb. 
what do you have in mind? I'm sure that what was going on, it could have never even begun to cross his mind, could it? So he said, well, so we, we're, did, you, did you notice, old dad, <laughs> that we forgot the lamb? And in verse 8 it says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them, it says, went on together. They just kept going. It says, when they reached the place that God had told them about, it said, Abraham built the altar, arranged the wood, and then it says he bound his son Isaac. He tied him up. He took away all of his power. And he put him on the altar. And the Bible says that just as he raised the knife over his son, an angel appeared and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. It says, Abraham then looked up and he saw in the thicket, in the, in the brambles, in the brush, a ram that was caught there by its horns, by its power. It was caught. And he went over and he captured it. And he sacrificed it there. And then the angel comes back again, called out to Abram and says, on behalf of the Lord God of heaven, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you, bless you, bless you beyond your wildest imagination. So that's the story, and there's so much that we can learn from this Genesis chapter 22. I think we should take a look at Mount Moriah. What is this place? Is this a special place? Well, it only, there's only one other reference to it in the whole Bible. That's in Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. But what it says is it's on this place that Solomon built the temple. So this would have been the Jerusalem, pre-Jerusalem era when Abraham was there. But it was on Mount Moriah. See, Abraham was from a land far away, the land of the Chaldeans, the land of Ur. He was an idol worshiper. He was called by God to make this journey, the promised land. And even this place was three days, three days journey from where he was called to come and do this thing. So God specifically led him to this place to make this sacrifice, this near sacrifice of his own only son on the place where then centuries later, Solomon would build the temple where the sacrifices would be made day after day after day after day, where then centuries later, not far at all from this place, Jesus Christ would give his life on a cross as the ultimate sacrifice. It's a fascinating connection, isn't it? All in the same place. So I think it's worth, that's worth noting. It's also worth noting, I think, the whole analogy of Abraham being called to to be willing to sacrifice his only son, you know, at the command of God. I mean, is that not a preview? Is that not a preview of God himself being willing to do for us what was needed to be done in order to provide for our redemption on the cross? And how many of you like me, I mean, I, I so appreciate what Jesus has done for me but, you know, when you, when you hear about it and talk about it and think about it and order your life around the cross of Jesus Christ for so long, it at least exists with the potential of kind of losing some of its emotional power, doesn't it, about that God gave his son. 
But then when you just slow down and read of an actual man named Abraham with an actual only son, long-promised, cherished son named Isaac, he was called to sacrifice him. And he had to bind him and take away his power just the way Jesus laid down his power for us. When you see it in the life of an actual, don't the emotions start to come back? And doesn't this give us an opportunity just to worship God for the cross? of just wor- Church, just worship God right now for the cross of Jesus and thank him for what he's done for you. <laughs> Praise God. There's so much we could get from this. But I, I feel like the treasure that's at the top of Mount Moriah that we're called to discover is simply this, that there's always blessing on the other side of obedience. There's always, 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 please say always. Always blessing on the other side of obedience. That whatever the thing you're being called to by God, do you, how many of you have a stirring inside of you? You read your Bible and you say, I think I'm supposed to do that. That's a call to obedience. And on the other side of that obedience, there is always, always, always blessing 100% of the time. I mean, uh, Abraham was radically obedient to the will of God for his life. And, it, and if you read in the scripture here in that same passage, you see how God responded to the radical blessing in verses 15 through 18. It says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So there clearly is the the 100% connection between obedience to the command of God and a blessing that's waiting. So that treasure is there, that there is always, always, always blessing on the other side of the obedience thing. Some of you may be wondering, how how does this work? Ask me, how does this work? Well, I mean, let's start by saying, is this a question of merit? Does Does this mean that when you obey, you somehow deserve God's blessing? I mean, that would be an easy, easy conclusion to reach, would it not? That, that, uh, you know, the obedient receive God's blessing because they somehow deserve to be blessed. That by their very act of obedience, God looks and says, well, Shane, there, you have demonstrated yourself to me something I didn't know. I didn't know you would be so obedient, but now that you have shown me that, well, now you deserve my blessing. Somehow that doesn't ring true of the sense of the gospel, though, does it? Because the Bible in both Testaments says that our works have no value. It says that even our righteousness is as, anybody know this? Filthy rags. That don't sound good. That the best day, your perfect day, is of no weight in the economy of God. Your works don't make up for the problem because the problem isn't about our behavior. The problem is about a fractured relationship that needs to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. There's nothing that we can do to fix a broken relationship. It has to be redeemed. It has to be repaired. I mean, if some husband is entirely unfaithful to his wife and she finds out about it he he can't come home with a five dollar bouquet of flowers from kroger and say oh honey it'll be all right here see i'm being a good person doesn't this make up for it no it's broken it needs to be healed 
And the whole essence of the gospel is not that we're bad people. The essence of the gospel is that we're born into a broken reality that needs to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so when we place our faith in Christ, the healing comes. So it's not about merit. I mean, not great, Matt, you were obedient to God in these five things, so you get these five blessings because you deserved it. It can't be about that. That would contradict the very sense of the gospel. Well, if it's not a question of earning God's blessing, then what is it? Well, here's my theory. You want to hear it? It's just the theory of one tall, bald guy in the grand scheme of your life. My theory is it's not about earning favor. It's not about merit, but it's about geography. It's about living closely to God where the blessing is. That that's what obedience in our life creates. You see, I believe at the very center of the heart of God is his desire for us to live close to him as sons and daughters. But sin and disobedience create separation. And obedience to his call always brings us closer. And that's where the blessing is. I believe it's God's heart for us to live always closely to him. And in living closely to him, we're living in the house where the blessing is, right? And so obedience, every call of God on our life that says, Mike, I'm calling you to do this, that on the other side of that, as you're obedient, you're coming closer to the Father. You're coming closer to God. By coming closer to God, you're accessing more of the reality of the blessing that's in his heart to give you. It's not because you deserve it. It's because you're reversing the effect of the curse, which in the garden sent you away, right? But Jesus has restored the relationship. Your faith in Jesus Christ has restored it. So now as he says, every act of obedience is a step toward him. And the closer we live to him, the more blessed our life is. Does that make sense? We can't earn God's blessing, but by obeying him, we take step after step and live more closely to him. Psalm 1611 says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Did you see that? You have made known to me the path of life. That God has put in front of you, Tom, a path. That's the path. And there are steps of obedience. And I've seen you take those steps. Now, where does that path lead? Well, what does it say? Fill me with joy in your presence. The path leads to him. He's the blessing. Hello? Surprise! (laughs) He's the blessing. It's not the stuff. It's the him. So the path leads to him. As we're obedient, he says, fill me with joy in your presence. Where does the path lead? Eternal pleasures at your right hand. So there's joy, there's blessing, there's eternal pleasure in the presence of the Lord. How do you get there? By obeying the command that he places on your life. Because that's where the path goes. I believe that every call of God is meant to call us closer to him. So as we respond to God's call in obedience in the small things and the big things, we literally move closer to him in the geography of the kingdom of God, if you will. So it's not a question of merit, of earning, but a question of being in the right place. And sin and disobedience, have you noticed, always takes you away from God. Is this just me? Does anybody else notice this? Anybody? Just seven of you? Seriously? I would think out of the hundreds of you, there would be more than seven. 
disobedience and sin always takes us away from the presence of God. And then we wonder, I mean, how many of you like me have, have found yourself in a completely unblessed condition in your life and you go, how the heck did I get here? Come on, right? I wasn't here before. How did I get here? It was the small steps of disobedience. It was the rationalizations, the little things that we let in that just create distance. So let's look at the other side of that coin. Are we saying that disobedience to the will of God results in a lack of His blessing? Yes! This means yes! Why? Because God is punishing us for being bad people? Not at all. Jesus Christ took the punishment for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Done! He took the punishment. Well, then how come I'm I'm not blessed when I'm disobedient? Because we're moving farther and farther and farther away from God in our lives where the source of blessing is. I'm preaching so much better than anybody's amening in this place. Don't make me stand up. But I will. (laughs) What does disobedience do? I mean, and here's what the devil wants to make you think. You are disobedient, so you're being punished. God is angry. You should be ashamed of yourself. What does that do? What did it do in the garden? It created distance between Adam and Eve and God. They ran from him. They hid from him. Hello? Hello? That's what the devil does. You're disobedient. So run from God before he finds out. Newsflash, he already knows. Comes to Adam and he says, who told you you were naked? Well, the the devil did. Well, that should be a clue right there that there's a problem with the information. Take any aspect of your life, please. And you have, I never judged your life. Believe me, it's a full-time job keeping mind anything close to obedient. But take any aspect of your life and apply this test to it. Am I obedient to God in my understanding of his desires for me in that aspect of my life? And what you will find is that the areas where you say yes, you enjoy the blessing of God. In the areas of you say, you say no, you'll find you have turmoil and stress because you're not living in the proximity of the blessing of God. But the treasure is there's always blessing on the other side of obedience. Just it's, There's a door of obedience right here in front of every one of you. Something. It could be small, it could be big. Walk through. There's blessing always on the other side. That's the Bible. And also, I think you should know from this passage that the more radical the obedience, the more radical, I believe, is the blessing. That radical obedience always yields radical blessing. Say, show me, Tom. Okay, in your passage, verse 3, Abraham has just told this crazy thing. Radical call on Abraham's life. What does it say, verse 3? Early in the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey, grabbed his son, and took off. When did he do that? Early the next morning. He, could, he, t- he wasted no time in responding in obedience. I mean, he didn't go, you know, I don't know. This, is, this doesn't even make sense. I got, I've been waiting for this one son. We got the whole Ishmael debacle. I don't know where that's even going to go. If I kill this kid, where am I going to? He just got up and went immediately. 
He didn't say, oh, I'll follow you, God, when the mortgage is paid. I'll follow you when the kids are grown up. I'll follow you when I complete my degree. I'll follow you. He got up the next morning and he followed him. And radical obedience always yields radical blessing. Verse 8, so Isaac asks, well, where's this lamb? says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. He didn't use this family circumstance as an excuse not to be obedient. He didn't say, my condition isn't right. I justify my disobedience because of these circumstances. It's what works for me. That's the path to non-blessing. That's the, that will increase the distance and your experience. That will increase the distance between you and God and it will decrease your experience of God. Because the Bible teaches us that obedience always leads to blessing. There are endless examples of this in Scripture. Anybody here, Moses? Exodus chapter 14. Egyptians pouring down behind him. Doesn't look good for those guys. What does God say? Up against the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 14, 15. It says, why are you crying out to me, Moses? Stretch out your staff. (laughs) Did Moses say, you can't be serious. This is your plan? But in radical obedience, he stretched out his staff. Waters parted. They went through and they were delivered from the Egyptians. Anybody hear about Gideon? God comes and says, Oh, mighty warrior! Gideon, are you serious? I'm like a little dude and a little clan. I got nothing. I don't even know how to fight. He obeys. God blesses. Anybody hear David? He's out keeping these sheep. God says, I got a giant for you to kill. Nobody else in the land can take. He's yours. All you got to do is what? Walk through the door of obedience. Let me get that. (laughs) Everybody hear about Esther? What a remarkable story of radical obedience. God blessed all the people of Israel through her and blessed her. Anybody hear Jesus? Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Those are the words of Jesus. Deal with it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So it comes to me, you know, I think there's probably a question floating around in the room. I wonder, I wonder what blessing is waiting for you. It's just on the other side of obedience. I mean, the Bible promises that it's there. We can't say what it is. I can't say, hey, you'll be rich. You'll get a new car. You'll get a better husband, whatever. I can't say what's on the other side of the door. Because I'd rather be poor and close to God than rich and far away. Because the blessing is the blessing is the blessing. And the blessing is unique to everybody's world and what God has created you for. The Bible says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So the path of blessing is unique to you. So the blessing is going to be unique to you. But the commonness of our blessing is that we're going to know we're living close to God. And that's an incredible reality. But you've got to be obedient. Because the whole world is just, you know, the whole cosmic battle is set to push you away. 
but the door is always there. And there's a blessing on the other side of it. And the other thing I think you've got to know about your blessing is that your obedience is always part of a larger plan. It's not just about you. I mean, what did, what did God say to Abraham? What did the angel say? He said, because through your obedience, all nations will be blessed. And I wonder, I wonder, you know, you're looking at your obedience going, well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But it's not just you on the other side of that door. It's connected to everything God's doing. So how do, you, how do you proceed? I mean, some of you are right now dialing up the greatest area of disobedience in your life right now, and you're going, I don't even know how to start. I don't even know how to begin. Let me ask you this. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Some of you are thinking about huge areas of your life that you know you're living in disobedience, you have somehow rationalized it, you've justified it, and you understand now from the context of this teaching and what the Holy Spirit's saying to you that you're living in a lack of blessing because of that. And you say, how do I fix that? You start with the immediate steps that are in front of you to do. You start in the small, what is God really saying? You say, God, I want to be obedient in this big thing. That's my commitment, that's my heart, that's my desire. So what do I do now? What, what step do I take? I mean, how many of you, like me, have heard a message like this and you've gone home to your wife and kids and said, all right, honey, he was right. We're going to straighten up and fly right and everything's going to change around here. And that lasted all the way to Tuesday, right? Let's get real. Let's take the steps that are in front of us to take. That's how you conquer the big thing. What small act of obedience is God calling from you? You get to fill in that blank. You know, a number of years ago, my son Brian and I, we decided that we were going to run a marathon. 26.2 miles. Man, that sounded like a long way to run. Especially since neither one of us were runners. (laughs) We made this decision 10 or 11 months in advance of the next Columbus Marathon. And so what we did was on that cold December morning... We met at 7 o'clock in the morning and said, did we say, let's go run 26.2 miles? No, we said, let's see if we can run a mile. It was not pretty. <laughs> it was not pretty. But we ran it, and we ran it the next day, and we ran it the next day, and we ran it the next day. And the next week, we said, I think we can go a mile and a half, can't we? And then it was two and then it was three, and then it was five. And on a chilly day in November 2009, my son Brian and I heroically (laughs) crawled across the finish line (laughs) of the Columbus Marathon. And that's how you do it. Just one step at a time. Don't let the devil intimidate you with the big thing. What's in front of you to do? Everything changes when you do the small things. Father, we bow before you now, and I just ask that you will reveal to each of us what it is that you really are calling for from us. I mean, 
Is it just to get up and read the Bible and pray as our first step? Is it, what, what you, Lord, I just pause and I invite you in the power of this place to give guidance. Guidance, Lord. Into these small, small steps. Speak to the hearts of your sons and daughters here, Lord. Just speak to their hearts. It's likely that some of you are hearing from the Lord now, and you know, you got a stirring going on inside of you. I'd pay attention to that. Some of you maybe are hearing a call to something that, you know, was true a long time ago in your life, and you say, well, I could never do that now. You better take that up with 100-year-old dad Abraham if you want to try that, because it's not too late. The Bible says that the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. He doesn't take them back. You say, well, I would never know how to get to that place that God put on my heart so long ago to get to that life. Well, of course not. But ask him what the first step is. And then when you make that, ask him what the next step is. dwell with him a minute. It's not too late. You didn't mess it up beyond repair. It, it may look different now, but it's still the same call. 